Good evening. Can you hear me? It's my privilege to welcome you to B'nai Yishurin's annual Shmir Salashon Project Lecture, sponsored by the Chesed Committee in conjunction with the Adult Education Committee. Tonight's speaker is Rabbi Jonathan Rietti, who will speak on the topic Shmiras HaLashon, I have to get this right, God's System for Protecting Our Imperfections. I just asked Rabbi Rietti if that was the correct title because I wondered about Hashem protecting our imperfections as opposed to perfecting our imperfections. But that is the title, so stay tuned. I would like to thank our sponsors for tonight's program, Sam Fishman, Le'ilu Nishmot, Ancher Ben Moshe Tzvi, Aloha Shalom, and Shifa Leah Bat Shlomo David, Aloha HaShalom, and an anonymous donor in honor of Rabbi Brzezanski, Rabbi Zatz, and Rabbi Weinberger. Rabbi Rieti, a descendant of the Beni Shchai and son of the famous British actor Robert Rieti, received a smicha from Gateshead Talmudical College in England, after which he helped establish the now flourishing Kolel in Gibraltar. With a master's in education, he served as an educational consultant to parents of gifted children and those with ADD. He has developed a curriculum which dovetails a Torah education with the Montessori methodology in which he is trained. Rabbi Rieti has authored over 25 lecture albums on topics including inner growth, health, parenting, and Jewish identity. He is the founder of Breakthrough Chinuch, which offers a hands-on curriculum that focuses on strengthening children in the areas of Amuna, Tefillah, Lashon HaKodesh, Chumash, and Tayag Mitzvahs. So it is indeed a privilege to have with us tonight and an honor for me to introduce Rabbi Jonathan Brietti. Thank you so much. Special thank you to Rabbi Yosef Zayf for your kind introduction. Uh, do you need the microphone? Do you need the microphone? No? Okay. A uh, special thank you to Mrs. Parnett for inviting me to share with you this evening. And uh, any, any others will be involved in the details. And I thank you for, for having me. So, Shmir Salashan, I think we usually associate it as Sumira. Let's, let's get away from the bad stuff. Um, but is it possible there's also another angle? That you and I were created to be imperfect. We were created to make mistakes. What's the proof from the Torah itself that we're supposed to make mistakes? Any suggestions? For those still, light, still awake? No. Yes, sir. Karbanas. Uh, a number of the karbanas um, are predicated on having made a mistake in the first place. So, a korban chatais for a mistake. Uh, a carbon ashram in a, case, in a case where a person actually did something on purpose. Uh, carbon tali, ashram tali, if uh, we're not sure if we made a mistake or not. So that's a, that's a good proof. Any others? 
Yes, sir? Aiden. Sorry? Okay, there's a gun, Aiden. Well, and, and no, and, and also the original uh, sin, if you will. Okay, so Adam, Adam making a mistake in the first place. Adam or Chava or both. Or Chava or both, excellent. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. What's the, point, what, what's the predicate of Yom Kippur? I'm going to make mistakes all year round. And there's one day, which is a cleansing day. and So that's very clearly. And, and what are we doing all day on Yom Kippur? There's another mitzvah we're doing all day on Yom Kippur. Teshuvah. Teshuvah, oh, so, the, the only, the, uh, so it's very clear, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us mitzvahs that are predicated on his expectation. I'm going to mess up. Does this make sense? So Shmir Salashan really fits in very simply into this context because your mistakes are none of my business. If you want to marry my daughter, oh, now it's my business to know anything about you, your son, that might be relevant to this shidduch. Oh, you want to go into business with me? Oh, now it's my business to know your ethical standards and your practices, your track record, your reputation. It's a mitzvah for me to know that. But otherwise, outside of getting involved in other people's lives in a very intricate and intimate way, your mistakes are none of my business. And therefore, Shmir Salashan has much to do with a Kaddish Baruch Hu system, if you want to call it, for protecting each other from us being who we are, human, who are going to foul up. I'm going to make mistakes. So, let me ask you. We have a mitzvah in the Torah. Now the word re'acha, it's a very strange word. It was used all over the Torah, but it's a very strange word. So I'm not the one who's saying this. Rabbeinu Yonah says this in Shah Gimel. He asked, what's the two-letter root of re'acha? Ra, what does ra mean? Bad. So I'm, I have to love my neighbor, my friend, as myself. And the word for friend in its two-letter root is evil, bad, negative. Rabbeinu Shalala, Master of the Universe, why did you choose in the name of my friend, my neighbor, the person I'm, I'm going to have a close relationship with, why did you choose that the two-letter root should be such a negative? It means, it means bad, it means evil, it means negative. And the answer is... Any suggestions? Why is it that a friend... Yes, sir? I heard that Ra doesn't actually mean Okay, what does it mean? It means either self or peace. Okay, what's... It's like a piece of something. Oh, a piece of something? A row that has Reish in it brings in the pieces. So, oh, so as, uh, a, as, a, as in a shepherd? Yeah. Right, okay. Right. A friend is somebody you see as part of yourself and Okay, uh, the word Ra still has also the meaning of negative, as in Yetzirah, or someone who does something that's called Ra. So it can still have the, uh, that meaning as well, as well as someone who's nurturing his flocks as a, in Araya. Is, what you, is that, that what you meant? Uh, sort of. Okay, so we'll give you five points for Gryffindor, nevertheless. That's <laughs> um, good. So the word Ra comes along Shari. Teshuva, Rabbeinu Yonah, in Shah Gimel. And he offers that if I'm looking for a friend who will never make any mistakes, never disappoint me in any which way, how long will I be looking? How many friends will I have? <laughs> if I'm looking for a spouse who will never let me down, never upset me, never disappoint me, how long will I be searching for a marriage partner? 
how long will I remain married? <laughs> Not very long. Oh, so comes along Rabbeinu Yonah and he offers that the purpose of being told is that if I'm looking at my friend that you have to be perfect in every which way then it's never going to happen because there never was such a person Chazal actually do give us five exceptions of Sadiqim Gamurim that never made a mistake in their lives and only died because of the Chet of the Nachash um, but otherwise outside of those five exceptions there's no such thing as someone who's so righteous on planet earth that walks this on this planet that never makes mistakes only does, only does good no such thing so comes along it's all about protecting each other for who we are we make mistakes in our marriage in raising our children our teenagers anyone here has teenagers? Uh, you might appreciate why some animals eat their young. Um, There's pure humor, no reflection on reality whatsoever. Uh, so comes along the town and tells me, your mistakes are none of my business. It's not for me to share with anybody, not my spouse, not my children, not my parents, not my uncle, my aunt, not my chivrusa, not my friends next door. Nobody. If I see or hear something that I don't like about you, that's nobody else's business. It's not even my business. Oh, I want to protect myself because you're frequently like that to me? Okay, so if I don't have a way by which I can <coughs> communicate how you're hurting me, uh, so maybe I have a mitzvah to distance myself. But to talk about your inconsistencies or lack of sensitivity or respect to family, extended family, or anyone outside of is none of my business. So that's really what we mean by the word Shmira Salashan. I'm guarding my mouth from sharing your mistakes. It's interesting. How, how sensitive is God about this subject? It's really remarkable. Because we messed up a lot of times. When we came out of Mitzrayim, we messed up a few times. Kairach, Machlekes, not good. Not good. Avedi Zara with the Cheta Egel, Golden Calf, not good. Um, we, we really, we complained many times to Moshe Rabbeinu against Aaron. We complained about the man. We complained, we don't have enough water. We're fed up with, the, with this long distance uh, journey. We, we, there were many things. And sometimes there were consequences. But nothing hit so bad as the Miraglim coming back and saying Lashon Hara against God's gift to the Jewish people. His land. It wasn't even people that we were complaining about. We were complaining, we were complaining about Eretz Yisrael. Why was that so terrible? Well, number one, it's God's gift to us, and therefore it should be assumed that if he wants to gift me something, and the Rebbein the master of the universe, is gifting it, it, it has to be a really good gift. So where am I coming from to say anything negative about Eretz Yisrael? But nevertheless, that ticked him off. Why did it tick Hashem off? See, the golden calf didn't, equal, we're staying in the desert 40 years, and everyone who participated will die in the desert. No, that, it wasn't that bad. The Kairach's rebellion, Machlekes, that's terrible. Division in Klal Yisrael, questioning the authority and authenticity of Moshe Rabbeinu being the true mouthpiece of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, that's very serious. But it didn't earn 40 years of delay in Eretz Yisrael, and every single person who participated dying 
and not entering. Oh, but Lashon Hara, yeah, that, that's bad news. Why is Lashon Hara, why, why is negative speaking, why is it so, in God's eyes, so terrible? So let's figure this out. If my speaking Lashon Hara about you, and it's not justified, is revealing your mistakes to others, and it's not my business, it's not their business to know about your mistakes, what would be the opposite of that? What's the opposite of me telling about other people's faults? Oh, praise. Praise of their virtues, of their, their qualities. So what comes out really is that Hashem loves the most gratitude. And what ticks him off the most is ingratitude. What's ingratitude? That I'm not looking at the good that's already there in you, in other people, in my own wife, in my husband, in my father, in my mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> sorry, just swallowing. Um, in my, uh, my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. Uh, someone asked me once the definition of a dysfunctional family. I said, that's easy. The definition of a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one member. <laughs> so, Akadosh Baruch Hu wants me to take control of the one item that's the hardest thing to control, my mind. <clears throat> because what I say is a product of what I'm thinking. And so what he wants the most is gratitude. Gratitude for the good that's already real in my life. And this is really at the crux of what Lashon Hara really is. It's all about reality versus non-reality. And I'll explain. Comes along the Perkei Aves, we learn it every Shabbos now, and quite ex- extraordinary, tells us, don't be a judge on your own. There's only one who can do that, and that's a Kodesh Baruch We actually call him Dayan HaEmet. You are the true and only true judge. So, number one, I'm not here to judge you. Why not? Why not? It's not my business. Oh, someone's a Dayan on Bastin, and people come to court, and there's a, something that has to be reconciled, and it's one way or another, one person is innocent, one person is guilty. Oh, so the Dayan, based on the evidence, has to come to a judgment. Uh, he's not going to do it on his own. There's going to be a, a Bastin of at least three, or 23, or 71, but whichever way you go, that's only in situations where people are coming for some sort of reconciliation, some sort of arbitration. But otherwise, on a personal level, your mistakes or what's going on in your life is not my business. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not allowed to. Now, what happens if I can't control myself? So, there's another statement, also in Pirkei Avais. Don't judge your friend. Ad until till you are reach you reach his place. Ladies and gentlemen, will you ever be in your husband's or wife's shoes? Hopefully never, right? Will you ever fully appreciate, know everything that went into your husband or your wife or your children's background? You you and I will never be in their place. It will never happen. The factors that contribute to who they became in their lives, you and I will never really fully appreciate, especially our kids. Oh my gosh! 
I'm working 33 years with children. I can guarantee you there's nobody in the room, and I really include myself, who fully understands our kids. It's impossible. Would you agree that there's never been a generation in world history where children are so overexposed to information? True or false? Absolutely true. Way before they've got the kalim, the emotional capacity to make sense out of what they are exposed to. Has there ever been a time in world history where children are overexposed to the media? Multicultures. Multi-value systems that are reflected by the multicultures that they are exposed to. True or false? It's a simple reality. Our children are, are hearing and seeing information that... Many of us, we, we, didn't, we didn't find out till the night before, the night after we were married. They, they know so much more. It's ridiculous. There was once a father who... Um, I have a lecture called When and How to Talk to Your Children About the Birds and the Bees. So I encourage that uh, you should get to your kids before the street does. So when people ask how, what age is that, I say, well, nowadays, if you don't get to the kid really early, really early, they're going to find out eventually from the street. So you may as well be the frame of reference as a parent or uh, a father, mother of this child. Let, let you get to them first before the corrupted version reaches them. So uh, one guy told me a story. I don't think it's true, but it's, it's cute nevertheless, where um, he took this advice and he calls over his nine-year-old son. He says, uh, Moshi, yeah, Dad, uh, we need to have... Um, it's really it's actually an adult uh, discussion, a, a father-to-son talk. Sure, Dad. Well, it's actually something that... Um, Really, only really, sh- uh, fathers really meant to, to have with his son, and, and it's it's really um, it pertains to uh, adult life. And sh- okay, Dad, and, it, and after 15 minutes of going into the introduction, finally tells him, "Go talk about the birds and the bees." So his nine-year-old says, "Sure, Dad. What do you want to know?" <laughs> so, no, the, well, our kids are over exposed. Can we fully appreciate what they are going through? in school, with their friends. How many of us only read the writing Lima Freya retroactively when the kid's 23 years old, been to therapy for the last four or five years, and finally we understand, oh my gosh, you were being bullied, and, I did, and it, I, it was obvious that I wasn't, taking, I wasn't paying attention. I, I was taking the side of the teacher when you started failing math and you were top in math. The last three years, and then you start failing, and, and I just couldn't, and I just kept on your case, only to find out later that at the beginning of the year, a kid made a joke at your expense, and the teacher, the math teacher, found it funny, so he ended up laughing, and that gave license for the rest of the year for the kids to tease you, bully you, and so you decide you're going to fail math because you hate that teacher so much. And, and, and I didn't have a good enough relationship with this kid for them to feel safe to talk to me and open up. And so I took the position of the teacher. And it's only like years later, I realized, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't judge you fairly. Oh. So comes along Kaj Baku and warns me, there's reality thinking, non-reality thinking. And he wants me to know that number one, I have no right to judge you. If I can't control myself, then I go to plan B. Okay, judge you, fine. Now you can if you reach their place. I'll never be in your place. 
I'll never fully appreciate what my father, mother, mother-in-law, father-in-law really went through. If I were to truly understand all the factors that contributed to their struggles, maybe not only would I not be judgmental, maybe I would be so turned around, I would actually be in admiration of who they are today, in contrast to my having been so judgmental before, when I fully appreciate all the struggles and how much they suffered or went through in being raised by their parents, or not being raised by their parents, oh, so comes along Pirkei Avos and gives me plan B. I'll never be in his place. Oh, so it's another way of just saying, you can't ever judge another person. Now, if I still can't control myself, what should I do? Oh, so comes along Pirkei Avos and offers me plan C. Heve is very interesting language. We should look at it for a few moments. Heve means become. Heve from the word Havaya. This is mentioned in, in Sefer Haredim, in Perakhes. He offers that whenever Perke Abba says Heve, it's Loshon Havaya, which means becoming. That I shouldn't think that who I am is etched in stone and I'll never change. Well, this is the way I, that's, that's how I am. That's my nature. Now, this is how my parents raised me. No. Heve means become. I'm changing. We change all the time. And heve done as kol adam lechavskos means that if I really can't control my mind and I really want to judge you, then God says the following. Okay, here are the two options. Option number one, I'm going to judge you based on what I saw and heard. I heard the words come out of your mouth. I saw the way you behaved. I saw what you said about me to me in front of other people, it, I'm a witness. I heard and saw it myself. That's one possible judgment. Now comes along Pirkei Avos and it's a mitzvah deraisa, a Torah mandated mitzvah on the words betzedek tishpoit amitecha, righteously judge your people. That if there's any option, any possible interpretation in my wild imagination, no matter how creative, my imagination has to be in order to identify a possible interpretation that puts you in a favorable light versus what I heard and saw with my own ears. Which of those two pictures does God command me to select? The one I heard and saw or to investigate, explore my imagination and even if I have to come up with a creative explanation, select number two. Which one is it? Shocking. God says, don't pay attention to what you heard and saw if you can possibly come up with any other explanation that will put this person into a favorable light. What is that about? Because any other interpretation that is not positive is not reality thinking. How do I know? What's reality? And the answer is, few of us can really say what our reality is because there's so much fake news. And I don't mean that just what... The media is saying, the whole world is Elam Hadimian. This world is not real. There's Elam Hazer, and then there's Elam Haba. This world, and then the next. There's Elam Hadimian, Elam Hanesayan, a world which is just one big test. And then there's Elam HaEmes, the world of reality. That's the real, true world. Oh, so most of what I see is not real. For example, you meet someone on the street. Hi, Moshi, how are you doing? 
Is, is Moshi who he really is, or that's just the name attached to him? His identity is not his name. Um, is it, are his clothes who he really is? In, in America, the clothes makes the man. That's actually from Mark Twain, but uh, I guess it, it, it got, uh, got popular in, in other contexts. But uh, the clothes do not make the man. No. In fact, in Lashon HaKadosh, the, the perfect language, the real language, the word Beged translates as clothing, but it also is a three-letter root of Beged, which means traitor. Rabbi Shalom, you have unlimited imagination. In English, you've got one word for traitor, a separate word for clothing. Why do you have one word that has both meanings? And the answer is they're correlated. That's, that's one of the beauties of Lashon HaKadosh. It's, it's not just one word. It can have other meanings too. And when we search close, deep enough, we'll find a correlation. What's the correlation between clothing and traitor? My clothes betray who I really am. We're not our clothes. We're not, we're not a bank statement. We're not a corporate position. Not even the size of my home or zip code that we live in. No, the real us is the Tzalem Elohim. The Tzalem, the reflection of Elohim that we were created in God's image that's inside of us. And what is that? Oh, our unlimited capacity, because that's what Elohim means. El means power. Elohim is actually plural, means powers. Elohim correctly translates as, this is in Simon Hay and Shulchan Ark and Erechayim, Elohim really means Baal HaKoyches Kulam, the one power that's in control of all powers. So there's something inside of each of us that's a reflection of unlimited power. What's that unlimited power? Oh, unlimited power to love, listen, respect, give, understand, empathize, loyal, devotion, understanding, sensitivity. There's a long list of midot. In English we translate as character traits. But it also has another meaning. What does midot also mean? Measure. Rebunshalom, in English you've got one word for measure and a separate word for character. Why do you have one word, midah, which means character, but it also means measure? And God's answer is, what's the true measure of a human being? Their height, their weight, size of their body, how much money they make, corporate position they hold, how famous they are, how many letters at the end of their name, how many university degrees, what's the true measure of a human being? Character. Oh, and therefore reality is not what you and I see. What you and I see is not reality. What we don't see is much more real. Even in the world of science, it, it, it took them a long time to get there because there used to be a pretty solid formula that if you can observe it, it exists and you can measure it. If you can't observe it, you can't measure it, then there's no proof it exists. And that, was, that worked for hundreds of years, but fairly recently, science has done a turnaround, 180 degrees. Because if you look at a night sky and you say to an astronomer next to you, what a beautiful star. He says, where? Over there, that one there. He says, how do you know it exists? Uh, I can see it with my own eyes, you're an astronomer. So no, 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 that star actually um, exploded or imploded millions of years ago, and what you're looking at is just the light that's still exuding from before it exploded, uh, so it's not actually there. And you go, you're a scientist. But how could you say that? And the answer is, that's reality. That really could be reality. Um, here you're admiring your granite countertop in your kitchen, and the scientist next to you says, um, do you like your granite countertop? Yeah, it's like solid rock. I said, no, it isn't. 
Of course it is. I think it's, it's solid. No, 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 no. It's 99.999 and 12 p- positions later, 99.99999% empty space. It's 0.0000013 0. spaces later, 1% physical matter. And you say, are you okay? You're a scientist. You can see this is solid rock. No, 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 you don't seem to understand. The atoms inside the granite are moving so fast that it gives the impression to our physical interaction with the granite as though it's solid. But the vast majority of this granite is actually empty space. What you see is not real. What you don't see, character. Oh, that's much more real. And so God says, please be sparing with my words. Because if I'm going to start judging you because of your appearance, of what you said or what you did, but that's not the real you. It might be a piece of you, but it's not my business. Because in one second you might have changed your mind and done teshuva. And in that one second you're a completely different person. And therefore, it's not my business to say negative about you. Lashon Hara is about protecting each other from our imperfections. How long does it take to change myself? How long? How long does it take? In Shulchan Aruch, in Evan Ezer, strange halacha, it's brought from the Gemara Kedushin. Um, I'm just going to embellish it slightly, but it's basically exactly, the principle is exactly as I'm describing it. You see someone in the last seconds of Yom Kippur. He's eating a ham cheese sandwich. The, the ham and cheese was grilled together. And he takes a bite out of this boiling hot ham cheese sandwich. And he, in his last swallow, Yom Kippur goes out. In that second, he pulls out a ring. He puts it on the finger of the lady standing next to her, him. And he says, hurry up, mikudeshously, but to Bazu... Behold, you are betrothed to me with this ring, according to the laws of Moshe, uh, on condition, almanas, on condition, shanit tzaddik gamur. I'm a totally righteous individual. And there are witnesses who saw this. And the question now is, mikudeshes or ain't mikudeshes? Is it a valid marriage, yes or no? What's your answer? Yes. Yes. Why? You know he's a Russia. Seconds ago, not minutes, not hours, seconds ago, not only have you, he's got a track record of being a wicked person. So how can the halacha side on his behalf and say that it's a valid marriage and if, if either of them want to get divorced now, they actually have to go through a get? Yeah, it's really serious. How, how do you take him so seriously? And the answer is, and this is what the wording of Shulchan Aruch, Shema, perhaps, hear Teshuva Belibai. Maybe had a thought of Teshuva in his mind. And in that one second, he changed himself. The only person he was created to change. Ladies and gentlemen, how many, many of you have successfully changed their spouse by trying to change them? I'll make the question much easier. How many people do you know in world history who succeeded in changing their spouse by trying to change them? Nobody ever changes anybody. The only person we can ever change is the only person we can ever change. I was once speaking in Kutcher's 
Allah wa shalom. Um, <laughs> about nine years ago, and um, uh, there was about four hundred. It was a Cholamayit Pesach. There was about four hundred people in the audience. The average age was about one hundred and six, I think. Um, no, there was one lady there, uh, one hundred and four, very astute. Someone asked her what's special about your age. She said, "No peer pressure." Um, no, truth be told, it was about, I would say the average age is about 75, 80. And um, I, I asked them, I said, you know what, there's 400 people in the room, I'm assuming the average age is about 50, the ladies were very happy with that. So I said, you know what, what's 400 times 50? Can we do the math? 400 times 50. Take a vote if you like. 400, 400 times 50 is 20,000. So I said, you know, that's interesting. In this room, there are 20,000 years of accumulative life experience. Someone asked the question, what will make two people happy in a marriage? 20,000 years of accumulative life experience. That's a lot of experience. So let's benefit from that incredible experience. What's the answer to this question? What will make two people happy in their marriage? Option number one, how similar you become to me over the years and less dissimilar. And that's what's going to make us happy. Or is it number two, not how much you become like me over the years and decades, but rather how well we get along with the differences. How we respond to the differences. 400 people, a cumulative life experience of at least 20,000 years. How many people said, happiness in marriage is all about you becoming like me? Zero. Interesting. There was one guy there who said, I'm married 63 years. So I want you to know marriage is not a word, it's a sentence. Um, also, it was a pure humor, no reflection on reality. I see not many of you got that, which means that's a, it's a very good reflection on your... You didn't get that. That's amazing. Okay. The sum total of life is what's going on over here. What am I saying that life is really about? And comes along the famous Rabbi Yisrael Kagan, who put Lashon Hara on the map big time, and he became known as the Chavetz Chaim. Why? Because frequently he would quote the pasuk from David Amalek in chapter thirty-four. Who is the man who wants Chaim? Ladies and gentlemen, let's take the Torah seriously. Avoid Christian-based translations. What does Chaim really... Tra- what's, how do we unfortunately translate Chaim? We translate it according to the Christian Bible as life. Now let's take Diktuk seriously. Is Chaim Lashen Yachid or Rabim? Is it in singular or plural? It's plural. So what's the correct translation? Lives. Now here's, here's, follow the logic. It's not complicated. Lashen Kaidesh preceded reality. HaKadosh Baruch Baruch She'amar Vehai Ha'olam. The universe was created by speech, the words of God, which was the Aleph base. When Hashem spoke, Vayoyim Hashem Yehi'ar, Vayehi'ar, the Ur existed because he said the word Ur. So Ur created Ur. Yeah? So language created reality. That means Lashna Kodesh, if there's a word in Lashna Kodesh and no such word in English, or the reverse, there's a word in Lashon Kodesh, and there's no equivalent in English. Listen carefully. You have a word called life in English, and there's no such word 
in the entire Lashon HaKadosh. There's no word for life. The word Chai, by the way, is not a singular version of Chaim. It's an adjective. It means our life. So, Oit Avinu Chai. Our father is still alive. Oit Yosef Chai. Yosef is still our life. There's no word for life. If there's no word for life in Lashon HaKadosh, and Lashon HaKadosh created reality, what does that mean? There's no such thing as a life. It doesn't exist. Why not? Chaim means life. Because we don't believe that this is the only life. Oh, Chaim really means lives. There's no word in singular. There are many words like that. We, we've been fooled by our Christian translations that are borrowing only because of popularity of words. Like the word lave is always translated the same way as heart. And it doesn't mean that more than nine times out of ten. The word lev has four meanings in Tanakh. The majority of the time it means mind. Rabbois machashavois per lev ish. Where do you do your thinking? In your heart or in your mind? So why does the Pasuk say belev ish is where you're doing your machshavas? Do you follow? There's, there's hundreds of examples like this. Love Hashem with all your thoughts. Lev means mind. Levavcha says sev charedim. When lev is doubled over, it's referring to both your thoughts. Good thinking and negative thinking. The Yetzirah Toiv is good thinking. Yetzirah is negative thinking. It's not more complicated than that. That's talked about in much more detail. If you want to look it up in Lukutei Maran, in Chilik Aleph, in Torah, Memtes, talks about Machshavas Toivus, Hem HaYetzirah Toiv, Machshavas Rois, Hem HaYetzirah. It's not more complicated than that. It's not an evil inclination. That's a Christian translation and we're stuck with it. So comes along the Chafetz Chaim and says, who wants lives? Oh, because what I think that determines the product of what comes out my mouth about myself. I'm such a slob. I'll never lose weight. I'll never, I'm so out of control. Like I, I'll never be a good spouse. I'll never be a good mother. I hate my cousin. And I, I keep putting myself, what I say about myself, oh, is going to come out my mouth and it's going to hurt me. In both worlds. What I say about other people is hurting me here, but it's hurting me because the real me is what I'm thinking. That's the real me. The Selim Elohim. And that's unlimited. And God says, look, Reacha, your friend, comes from the two-letter root, Ra, which means he's going to have mistakes, but it's not your business. You're married to someone who's got mistakes? Yeah, it's my business. But what's my business? Heavy. Change myself, become, judge them favorably. Because when I do, what's going to happen to the spouse? You see, we don't change anybody. When we change ourselves, we become more appreciative, more loving, more listening, more grateful, more understanding. What happens to people in our lives? They change in response to a different us. Also, we don't actually get to change anybody. And if you think we have successfully changed someone, it's not real. The moment my back turned, guess what they're going to do? What they want anyway. Oh, so the only person I'm really here to change is myself. But when we do change ourselves, we change everybody around us. It may not go straight away, because I've got a track record of negativity that you're not going to trust immediately. But the more I guard my mouth from negative thinking that coming out of my mouth, the more I change the real me. And that's what we're really here for. Moite Ani, the first two words we say every morning, before we finish the sentence, is actually describing our identity. 
I am a thank youer. Maiteh Ani. That's what we of all the different names a Jew has. Yisrael, Yeshurun, Ivri, Yehudi. The one that stuck the most is Yehudi. It's from the Lashon Hodah. What does Hodah mean? Gratitude. The essence of a Jew is to be grateful. Grateful? You've got to be kidding. We are the most persecuted, hated nation in history. And we're still grateful. We're still grateful that you gave us your Torah. And with it became role models. We've, we have produced millions of tzaddikim, tzaddikim over the years in the worst imaginable conditions. There's a lot to be grateful for because we don't live for this world. Who wants both lives? And answers the Chavetz Chaim. And here's part of the answer. Love days to see the good. Every day has tons of good in it. Someone once said, the, what's the definition of a good day? Every day above ground is a good day. And if you don't believe him, try missing one. <laughs> Every day counts. It really is. I have yamim Love days. Every single day counts. Lirais to see the good that's in my life, in my wife, in my spouse, in my house, in my health, in my wealth. I'm a poet and I know it. <laughs> Comes along a Kaddish Baruch and tells me through the Ruach HaKodesh of David HaMelech. You really want this world and the next? Love every single day. Zehayim, says David HaMelech. This day, Asa Hashem, is the day God made. Really? You've got to be joking. With the carpool late and my boss like abusing me and my spouse not understanding me and the kids so defiant. One hour of your chutzpah is more than I had in a lifetime to my parents. There's no one here who can relate to any of this, but some of you have friends who know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what do you mean, Zehayim Hashem? You've got to be joking. This, I've gone through, I've had such a hard day. And comes along David Amalek and says, no matter how hard it is, there's good in it. Do you know why? Nagila, which correctly translates as, let us reveal. Because Gila is a form of simcha where you reveal happiness that was there before, but I wasn't aware or paying attention to. But it was there all along. And let us be happy in this day. Oh, happiness is a choice. To enjoy the good that's already in my life, in my spouse, in my children, in my health, in my wealth, in my career. Gratitude is the opposite of Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is negative words about God's beautiful world. And, and God gives me 120 years to get it right. So even though I mess up a few hundred times a day, Kodesh Baruch gives me another chance and another chance and another chance because it takes one second to say sorry. It takes one second to say I'm doing tshuva up here no matter how bad my track record is. So comes along Kodesh Baruch and warns me of all the things that ticks him off the most is negative talk because that's a re- result of negative thinking. And God says, I want you to know this world is really good. Do you know how good it is? Ladies and gentlemen, this is how good it is. 
At the end of every single day of creation, God gives a report, except the second day. He skipped the second day because the water got split, something's supposed to be together, gets split, it's not good. So he made up from the third day, he said it twice. But at the end of each day, by Yahashem Hashem saw key tithes. It's good. Now, if I see something's good, it's kind of relative. But God said it's good. Oh my gosh, it must be really good. Now, after he finishes the whole six days, Vayar Hashem et kol Hashem saw all that he had made. Vihine. Hine is a very important word. It translates as behold, which means pay attention. Now, every ice, every letter in the word in the Torah requires me to pay attention. But when God goes out of his mind to say, Hine, pay attention, that means there's a really whopping lesson to be deduced. So God says, Vihine, I looked at everything I'd made and behold, please pay extra attention. Taif. It's good. Ma'ayd. Exceedingly. Really. Ladies and gentlemen, watch this. When did God say his report? At the beginning of each day or at the end of each day? When did he say it? At the end. When he gave this final report, it was the end of which day? The last day. Sixth day. When was Adam created? Sixth day. Which hour? In Sanhedrin Lamed Ches. He was creating the third hour. His body was creating the third hour. Fourth hour, God breathed into him his neshama. Fifth hour, Ahmad al-Raglav. He stood on his feet. It's a, an expression of... Amid is always an expression of independence. Sixth hour, he started naming all the elements, all the animals in creation. Seventh hour, married Chava. Eighth hour, she gave birth. Ninth hour, he gets a tzivoy. A... Instruct, an instruction. Don't eat from the tree. Tenth hour, he eats from the tree. Eleventh hour, he's judged. Twelfth hour, he's expelled. He just set back creation, according to the clock now, 6,000 years. God says, okay, let me give you my final report. Hashem Hashem saw all that he made. Vihine, please pay extra attention. The world is exceedingly good. I mean, talk about denial. That's not a, a river in Egypt. So, how do you... Adam just set back creation 6,000 years and you're saying it's exceedingly good. How can you say that? And Hashem says, Oh, I get it. You're reading what you see in this world. Let me explain to you. Adam's capable in one second of teshuva. No matter how bad things look, I'm bringing the world to its final tikkun. In fact, even though it seems like it's really getting really bad, especially if you listen to the news with Hamas and Abbas and Israel and Hezbollah and Fatah and Al-Qaeda and Taliban and the Muslim Brotherhood and uh, terrorism all over the place. I could easily fall into the trap of thinking, oh my gosh, this world is really not safe and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And God is saying, let me explain to you, the closer you get to my promises that you're going to come back to Eretz Yisrael and Mashiach is going to rebuild the Bay Shlishi forever and then there'll be Trias Amesim, revival of all those who died. Wow, really? So God says, yeah, I'm getting closer and closer to that. And all you have to do is look at history. It's so obvious. 
Because God made promises. Don't make promises unless you keep them. God makes lots of promises. How many times does he say, Blineda? <laughs> Never! Why not? Just, you know, speak to your attorney and cover yourself. <laughs> no. God says, I know the future. I control the future. I control nature. I control the destiny of nations, empires, civilizations. So when I tell you that if you keep my Torah, you'll stay in the land. But if not, I'll throw you out. But when I throw you out, it'll only be for 70 years. Then you're going to come back. But if you still don't keep my Torah, I'm going to throw you out a second time. The second time round, you're going to be spread throughout the whole world. You will remain few in number. The land will wait for you and remain desolate till you return near the end of days. But salacha umtsaucha. All these things will have found you by the end of days. Ladies and gentlemen, you live in the year 5777. So pretend this, this side of the room is the sixth day of creation right over here. Adam is created over here, FSC, from, from creation. <laughs> he was actually, he was actually uh, created 3000 BC uh, before clothing. <laughs> so here you have Adam, uh, ten years, ten generations from Adam till now, the marble. Can you see the marble in your mind's eye? Yeah, you see it? Um, ten generations from Noach till Abraham. The life of Abraham, the life of Yitzhak, the life of, Yan- life of Yaakov, life of Yosef. Uh, brothers come down to the shrine, reunite with Yosef Tzadik, and then they're there for not 210 years, and there's Shiba of the shrine, slavery, ten Marcos, Marcos ten. And Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and then 40 years in the Midbar, and the Jews enter Eretz right over here, we're in the year 2488. Hold on tight. 6,000 years in two minutes. You can hold on, this is the fastest journey you've ever taken. <laughs> Shalom Allah builds a Bais Rishon, and Khon Bais Rishon, then comes the building of Bais Sheni, the story of, of Purim, Pras, and the Persian Empire. Haman tries to destroy us all. The building of Baishani, and then uh, the, uh, the Greek Empire, and the story of Hanukkah, and then Galus Erdine, destruction of the Baishani, the writing of the Mishnah, up to the year 4000, the writing of the Gemara, the Tkufa of the Ga'inim, Rashi, and the Jews in Europe, the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, Rambam, and the Golden Age of Spain, sorry, then the Spanish Inquisition. Um, Watch the one. Thank you. Can you see this in your mind's eye? You see we're moving through history. Uh, the Baal Shem Tov starts the Hasidic movement. Hasidic movement and the Vilna Gaon starts the Yeshiva movement. Um, when I do this in Borough Park, I actually have pictures, and they told me they never saw these two so close together. <laughs> um, so, late 1800s, uh, 1777 to be precise, over 300 Talmudim of the Baal Shem Akadosh moved to Eretz Yisrael in the foremost Kaddish places. Yushalayim, Heaven, Svas, and Tveria followed 30 years later, in 1807, by over 500 Talmidim of Gaon and start the original Yeshuvim. Sarah Schneer begins the Beis Yaakov movement, the Holocaust. 1948, the United Nations votes that the Jewish people should have their own state. 1949, 750,000 Jews live in Eretz Yisrael. You're over here, this picture, if I had a photograph of you, yes, you, you're right over here, five, seven, Seven, seven. The only three things that I haven't had to get is Eliyahu announcing the Shia and the building of Bayesh Shlishi, Kibbutz Galias, the ingathering of the exiles, and Chiyosamesi. You're over here, five, seven, seven, seven. 
in the last 2,000 years of not seeing the land of Israel by your grandparents, great-grandparents, let alone live there, how many Jews in the world today? About 13 million. How many Jews live in Israel today? Six million going on to seven. Do you realize that we're almost at the tipping point that nearly half the Jews in the world live in Israel? Can you see God is on schedule? <laughs> He's keeping his promises. He promised us if we don't keep Torah properly, we'll get thrown out of the land. Not once, but twice. 70 years in between. We're going to be spread throughout the whole world and we'll remain few in number. We'll be persecuted, hated by all the nations. But eventually we're going to come back to the land. And then we're going to be Teshuvah. The Sheikh's going to come. Oh my gosh. Is God keeping his promises? So God says, let me explain to you. I created man with no junk. He's got a mind that can see the good and admit the truth, reality, that Hashem is in my life. And that my wife and my husband, my children, have got their story for how and why they are the, uh, the way they are. But I, my mitzvah is to love them. My mitzvah is to respect them. My mitzvah is to intrinsically love you so that you will change yourself. That's not the reason I should love you, but that's my mitzvah. To say negative about you, that's not reality. Because you can change in a second. And even if I thought it's reality, I'm supposed to select in my creative imagination an interpretation that puts you into a favorable light, even though I think what I heard and saw is much more real. So comes along Hashbach and tells me, Shemus Lashen is really about protecting us from our imperfections. I close and I truly mean it. But the, the Chavetz Chaim tells us, Surmeira looks like I've got to get rid of the negative before I can get to the toif. Says the Baal Shem HaKadosh, no, 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 no. What Davina Melech is telling you is not the order. He's telling you, if you want to get rid of the negative, guess how you do it? Asetoiv. Just stay on the good. Stay on task. Look at the good in yourself and your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. Your mother-in-law, your daughter-in-law, your father-in-law, your brother-in-law. Look at life as good. And even if you're wrong in your interpretation, but God wants me to be, in this world, grateful for the good that's in my life. Now, Tata Simcha Velibi. Said David Melech, you've already gifted to me. Nasata is Lashon Ava. It happened already. You've gifted. Nasata is Nasan. is given. Gift. Gift. Nasata Simcha Belibi. You've already given me reasons to be happy in my mind. But am I counting the good that's already in my life, in my wife, in my home, in my children, in my health? Happiness is a choice. Samer is the two words Sham Mayach. There's the brain, there's the mind. Besimcha is the same oasis Machshava. Because the state of being happy is paying attention to the good that's already in my life. Even when it looks really bad, God says, Oh, but that's only what I wrote in the Torah. But that's not, that's not the reality. You know what's the reality? That the world is good, even when man messed up. It's never too late to change. I close and I truly mean it on a quick joke. A uh, young lady starts a new job as secretary. Um, boss comes back from um, power breakfast in the Regency. And... Um, Asked if there's any messages uh, while he was out. I said, uh, yeah. Your doctor called with the result of your test. Oh, good. Well, what do you say? Well, there's good news and there's bad news. So which do you want first? I'll take the good news. 
The good news is you're going to die in three days. The good news? I'm going to die in three days? What's the bad news? Bad news? He called three days ago. It was too afraid to give you the message. <laughs> it may be late. It's never too late. As long as I'm alive, that's the biggest demonstration. God hasn't given up hope in me. Oh, ani. I am a thank youer. I'm in this world to be grateful and close my mouth from negativity. And even when I mess up, start again. Start again. Because taiv ma'ai. Thank you for your patience. Thank you very much for those very, very inspiring words. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Yosef. Thank you. Marv upstairs in the main sanctuary.